This episode contains adult themes and is not appropriate for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. This is They Will Kill, a true crime podcast. I'm Courtney Eck. And I'm Sadie Eck. And we're sisters, and we talk about murder. And I don't know what Sadie has cooking for us today, but I will tell you that not knowing what, what my co-host has on the docket, I don't know what docket, it's the first word that comes to mind, but not knowing what you have lined up is so fun. I don't think this will ever not be fun. I was kind of giddy all day thinking about the fact that I get to hear a story about murder, so... I'm excited. Take it away. Thanks so much. <laughs> You're welcome so much. <laughs> uh, today, I'm going to tell you about the murder of Hannah Williams. And I want to start by just offering a trigger warning for child abuse and neglect. It's a pretty rough one today. And I know that a lot of people struggle with stories about kids. So just a heads up. I also want to start by saying that I relied really heavily on an article from Slate titled Hannah Williams, The Tragic Death of an Ethiopian Adoptee and How It Could Happen Again, written by Catherine Joyce. So Larry and Carrie Williams felt led by God to adopt. They lived with their seven biological children in Cedro Woolley, Washington. After pregnancy complications left Carrie unable to have more children herself, they decided to look into their options. Around the same time the Williamses were building their family, In the mid to late 2000s, homeschooling conservative Christian parents of large families had begun adopting in significant numbers across the country, seeing adoption as a form of rescue that demonstrated their faith. I don't like it already. Mm -hmm. Also, they have seven kids and they're going to adopt another kid. Yeah. Carrie was inspired to adopt by a fundamentalist women's ministry called Above Rubies which had sparked an earlier surge of evangelical adoptions from Liberia. In 2008, the Williamses started the process to adopt. They looked into a nearby agency, Adoption Advocates International, which is a secular organization that was started by Marilee Ripley, a mother of 20. No. Yeah, 17 of whom were adopted. Oh my God, I'm going to have to take a lot of deep breaths Mm -hmm. during this one. We have a personal story, which I'll save for the end, but we have a personal story about neglect in a sea of foster and adopted children. So mm-hmm. I really don't like this. <laughs> so AAI quickly alerted them to a deaf Ethiopian child in need of a family. Mm. His name was Emmanuel. It seemed like a good match on paper. Before getting married, Carrie had studied American Sign Language with plans of becoming a sign language interpreter. Carrie and Larry completed a home study with AAI, including filling out pre-adoption forms the agency required. After they decided to adopt Emmanuel, the couple saw a 60-second video of a tearful but healthy young girl named Hannah and agreed to take her too. Quote, our heart went out to her, Larry would later say. Both children came from an AAI-affiliated orphanage in Ethiopia, and both were reportedly abandoned. In a process that the Ethiopian government no longer permits, the children flew to the United States with an escort without ever meeting the Williamses. What? Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. Yeah, and the Williams weren't required to go visit their children or country where they were born and raised. 
Emmanuel was seven years old and Hannah was 11. Early post-adoption reports from the first year, which included three brief reports from an AAI social worker who visited in the first six months, and one from the Williamses themselves at a one-year mark, showed a family making it work, but reports lacked any real details. So it's just dawning on me, they're older. She's 11 and he's seven. Mm-hmm. Sorry, it took me a minute for that to sink in. That's, yeah, they're not babies at all. That's so old to just mm-hmm. be uprooted and flown to a new country into mm-hmm. a new family without mm-hmm. any introduction or anything. Right. right. That's heartbreaking. Yes. Medical charts show Hannah growing from a slightly underweight 77 pounds when she first arrived to a plump 105 pounds six months later. Wow. Yeah. So she was... For the first six months. Doing well. Doing well. After June 2009, there's no evidence that Hannah saw a doctor again, and the family's reports to the adoption agency stopped. There seemed to have been no more weigh-ins until Hannah's body arrived at the coroner in 2011. Oh, God. She was between 76 and 80 pounds at the time of her death. What? Lighter than 97% of 13-year-old girls her age. Oh, my God. In images from the autopsy... Hannah's ribs are visible, her clavicles sharp, her gaunt chest as flat as a boy's. Her head had recently been shaved, and her body bore the scars of repeated beatings with a plastic plumbing hose. Oh, baby. No. No. We're in trouble if I'm already getting teared up. Yeah. (laughs) The Williams family lived on a 5.6-acre lot set back from the road within a gated community. They prohibited most TV and internet access homeschooled their children, and only socialized with one or two other families beyond their own relatives. Mm-hmm. According to those that knew the family, they had grown increasingly fundamentalist over the years. Larry had taken to giving some sermons in the backyard. Carrie, who married at 19, went from wearing pants to just skirts or dresses and didn't believe that women should wear swimsuits or vote. I mean, I can't argue with that. <laughs> God. Mm-hmm. I know, wear what you want, but... But don't vote. I mean, I'm fine with swimsuits. I just don't think women should vote. God. (laughs) If you're just tuning in, I really don't think women should vote. (laughs) No, I I do. Please vote. Women and all genders. Everyone. Yes. Uh. Carrie and Larry were very strict with their children. They were known to follow the teachings from a fundamentalist Christian child-rearing book called To Train Up a Child, written by Michael and Debbie Pearl, which advises raising children to obey without question. Mm -mm. The book provides instructions on using a switch on babies as young as six months old. I had a feeling that was coming. Mm -hmm. To discourage misbehavior. And describes how to make your own tool for hitting on the arms, legs, or back, including a quarter-inch flexible plumbing line, that Mr. Pearl notes, quote, can be rolled up and carried in your pocket. Oh, God. Just so you have it on demand for mm-hmm. any time your child, yeah. When your six-month-old infant misbehaves. Oh, okay. I'm still here. Mm-hmm. The Pearls also say that, quote, a little fasting is good training. No. And suggests hosing off a child who has potty training lapses. No. Yeah, with a garden hose. With, oh my god, like an elephant or something. Mm-hmm. Jesus. A social worker wrote that the Williamses had, quote, diligently applied the book's concept to all of their children, who told CPS investigators that they didn't rebel because they were, quote, trained, 
And because their adopted siblings weren't trained at a young age, they were rebellious. I'm going to vomit. Yep. That's fucking awful. Yep. While at her local knitting group, Carrie complained that Hannah was disobedient. According to members of the group, she was upset that Hannah began menstruating almost immediately after arriving in the United States. And she said she had, quote, expected to adopt a little girl, not a half-grown woman. Oh, my God. When members suggested she reach out to the adoption agency, Carrie said, quote, I don't wish her on anyone. Jesus. The family made preliminary efforts to formally change Hannah's age. If they could kick Hannah... What? Oh, no. Yeah. A lot of times records are sort of spotty in international adoptions. I'm sure. And so it's easy to flub the the age. Oftentimes, Mm -hmm. it's not uncommon for adoption agencies to say the kids are younger than they are Mm -hmm. so that they're more adoptable. Right. There's no proof of that in Hannah's case, but I I know that when I was reading through, that was one thing that came up a lot. Uh Uh-huh. Well, and not to veer off too far, but it's like that Ukrainian woman who is a woman who they mm-hmm. thought was like seven or whatever. Right, right. I haven't, I haven't read any updates on that, so please don't get mad at me if they've proven that she actually was seven and the mom was crazy because I've heard there's like a million different theories mm-hmm. about what actually happened. But regardless, haven't, yikes, haven't man. I haven't read any updates either. I haven't yeah. either. I'll put it on my list of things to do so we can talk about <laughs> it next time. But yeah, that yep. makes total sense that she would be more closer to 13 or something and they say she's younger than she is to make her more adoptable. Right. Yep. So, yeah, they want to formally change Hannah's age. If they could kick Hannah out when she turned 18, Carrie told the knitters she was confident that they could train Emmanuel to obey. When one knitter asked how Hannah would survive, Carrie replied, quote, it won't be my problem. Jesus, woman. God, how hypocritical and awful. Like, what kind of Christian person would ever say something like that? Yeah. So Hannah's life was a series of daily and escalating punishments. She had been forced at first to sleep alone in a barn more than 80 feet from the house, Mm-mm. then in a locked dark shower room, Mm-mm. and finally in a locked four by two foot closet. Jesus. Where she spent most of the last six months of her life. Oh, God. Some accounts said she was locked in there for as long as 10 to 24 hours at a time. Mm-mm. Her parents would pipe in Bible sermons and religious music as part of her, quote, training. Oh, my God. Just full-blown torture. Totally. Yep. After the Williamses accused Hannah, who was a carrier of hepatitis B, of smearing menstrual blood on the bathroom door, Hannah was also made to use an outdoor porta potty behind the barn that the family only serviced once or twice in the entire year she was forced to use it. Oh, Jesus. She showered in the front yard under a garden hose propped up with sticks in the view of the family. Sometimes the family wouldn't speak to her for days at a time. If Hannah argued with Carrie about the clothes she picked out, she was made to wear nothing but a towel, and sometimes she had to go barefoot. Oh my god! Yep. Hannah's braided hair, of which she loved, was shaved off three times, once for cutting the grass too short. Oh man. Oh. I'm gonna have to, like tie myself to this chair to not drive to wherever these people are and beat the shit out of them. I'm so (laughs) mad right now. Yeah. It's really upsetting. Yeah. She and Emmanuel were both fed different meals from the biological children. Cold leftovers topped with frozen vegetables or sandwiches deliberately soaked with water. Mm. Most often they had to eat outside away from the family, even when it rained or snowed. 
Oh my god. They weren't allowed to participate in birthdays or Christmas. And they were spanked with a variety of objects, including belts, a long flexible glue stick, and a piece of thin plastic plumbing tubing that Carrie kept in her bra. Mm-hmm. The misbehavior they were punished for included getting homework wrong, not standing in the right place, and sneaking food. God. The biological children were sometimes spanked too, but not like Hannah and Emmanuel. Friends and neighbors noticed that Hannah was excluded, trailing behind the family if they went out for a neighborhood walk, or lingering at the edge of the driveway while the other children played. No one liked Hannah, her sibling said, but that didn't matter because Hannah was, quote, always in the closet. They rarely even heard her because Hannah had stopped crying when spanked. Oh my god. Uh... By the time Hannah died, she hadn't fully participated in family meals or homeschooling for a year. On May 11th, 2011, Hannah had been outside since mid-afternoon, wearing only cut-off sweatpants and a short-sleeved shirt. The day was rainy and only in the mid-40s. Carrie had originally sent Hannah outside that day as punishment, ordering her to do jumping jacks to stay warm. She walked Hannah to the porta potty out by the barn and watched her fall several times, mm. but went back inside to avoid seeing what she thought was attention-seeking behavior. Jesus, this woman. I know. As the hours wore on, Hannah refused to come back in when Carrie called. Carrie put out dry clothes and sent two of her biological sons to hit Hannah on her bottom with a plastic switch for disobeying. But Hannah had begun to remove her clothes, and Carrie, who believed in strict modesty, called the boys back in. Carrie and many of Hannah's eight siblings watched through a window as Hannah staggered and thrashed around, removed her clothing in what was known as a hyperthermic paradoxical undressing, Mm -hmm. and fell repeatedly, hitting her head. Yep. Emmanuel recalls later that the family appeared to be laughing at the girl. Eventually, Hannah fell face forward in her parents' backyard. Carrie went outside, upset by Hannah's nakedness. She got a bed sheet and covered her before asking two of her teenage sons to carry her in. She called her husband, Larry, who was on his way home from a late shift at Boeing. She then finally decided to call 911, telling the operator, quote, I think my daughter just killed herself. She's really rebellious. What? <laughs> what? I know, man. I think my daughter just killed herself? Yep. I think my daughter just killed herself. She's really rebellious. Oh, my God. I know. I have to take a deep breath. I know. <laughs> I'm like pushing on my face and clenching my hands and oh my god I don't even know what to do with myself no it's awful when I when I started reading about this case I just could not believe couldn't believe it no there's it's no a demon possessed that woman like there's just Mm -hmm. no human humanity that's there's no humanity in those people no to do that to, to those kids So as the operator walked her through mouth-to-mouth resuscitation and even-voiced Carrie explained that Hannah's mouth was full of mud, her eyes were dilated, quote, like she's in a dark room. Jesus. Her voice grew annoyed as she described Hannah's nudity and how she'd been, quote, passive-aggressive, causing, quote, so much stress. Oh my god. 13-year-old Hannah was pronounced dead at the hospital. Her cause of death was hypothermia compounded by malnutrition and gastritis, which is an inflammation or deterioration of the stomach lining. Mm -hmm. The following day, CPS tried to check on the other children, but Larry refused to let them in. When police followed up, a deputy noted that the family act as though Hannah's death was, quote, an everyday occurrence. Unbelievable. As investigators searched the house, they found it so orderly it didn't look like nine children had lived there. 
Twelve days later, detectives and CPS conducted interviews with the children, but their answers seemed rehearsed, all repeating that Hannah was rebellious and refused to mind Carrie. One child said he thought Hannah was possessed by demons. Emmanuel said that, quote, people like Hannah got spankings for lying and go into the fires of hell. I mean, th- there's a demon amongst them, but certainly mm, not in Hannah. Definitely not Hannah. No. <laughs> right. Two months later, in mid-July, CPS received an anonymous tip from someone claiming that Carrie didn't like her adopted children and that Emmanuel was starting to be treated like Hannah had been. Mm. Things were never much better for Emmanuel. He began wetting the bed after a few months in the house. He says the Williamses accused him of doing so on purpose and forced him to take immediate cold showers outside under the hose. Oh, God, poor baby. I know. He testified in court that he, too, was sent to sleep in the bathroom. Emmanuel was also punished if he didn't feel the vibrations of one of the family members stomping their feet on the floor to get his attention. Jesus. Mm-hmm. Like how? I, I, I know. There, I, <laughs> oh. Yeah. Don't call your deaf adopted son over by stomping on the floor. It's like people that, well, it's not exactly like this, but kind of like people who like snap at waiters. It's so <laughs> fucking disrespectful. Well, it's like. Fine, if you want to stomp to get their attention, you cannot punish them if they don't notice it. Like, Yeah, punish I, your own self for not having heavy enough feet, dumbass. <laughs> God. <laughs> oh, I hate them so much. I know, I do too. I really do. Uh, Evil. Awful. I mean, Evil. It's just like, yeah, it really is. Often he was switched on the soles of his feet, and sometimes Carrie ran the plastic switch up and down his face, something she said was a joke. That's sick. So toying with him, basically. Yeah, it's so sick. Once, during a family celebration, Larry hit him hard on top of the head, causing bleeding that ran down his face. After he was put outside and the rest of the family was told not to sign with him. At church, a deaf parishioner sometimes tried to talk to Emmanuel alone to see how the boy was doing, but every time he came close, Larry or Carrie would take the boy away. CPS launched a formal investigation, and all eight remaining children went into state care. Good. Thank God. Right. I can't believe they didn't do that after she died of hypothermia and malnutrition. Mm -hmm. It's like, Mm -hmm. what do you think happened, guys? Right. She just rebelled herself to starve and freeze to death? Mm-hmm. Fuck. Yep. After Emmanuel was removed from the Williams home, a therapist and deaf children's specialist, Julia Peterson, said Emmanuel had been afraid to talk about his time with the Williams family, fearing he'd be punished. I'm sure. His language skills were delayed and his emotional state confused. He compulsively apologized for minor mistakes and asked his foster mother why she didn't hurt him. <laughs> oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. Oh, baby. Uh, If he needs adult adopted, I'm I'm down to do it. Give him some love. Oh, poor sweetie. He had nightmares about returning to his old home and felt certain that he would have been the next one to die. Yeah, there's no doubt. That poor sweet kid. And imagine the, like, survivor's guilt, too. No. He once signed to Peterson, quote, I can't escape and I have to stay. She diagnosed him with post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. In late September 2011, Larry and Carrie were arrested and charged with Hannah's death. 
They both got out on bond while awaiting trial. For nearly two years, a no-contact order separated Carrie and Larry from each other and their children. I hate that their names are Carrie and Larry, by the way. I, yeah. I didn't want to totally derail us right out of the gate, but that's <laughs> fuck, that's hateable enough. Like, I hate them enough for being Carrie right. and Larry, let alone torturing mm-hmm. and murdering adopted children. Yep. We should just do a podcast about people with the worst names. <laughs> <laughs> so after Larry sent his kids in foster care Bibles with certain verses highlighted, versions of the Apostle Paul's letter to Timothy about deliverance from the mouth of the lion, it was suspected to be coded messages, and he was placed in state custody for violating the no-contact order and had to await trial in jail. Wow! Good for them. Yeah. Yeah, they weren't fucking around anymore. In January 2012, in an attempt to verify her age for one of the charges the couple faced, which was homicide by abuse, uh, it only applies to victims under 16, mm-hmm. Hannah's body was exhumed. According to adoption records, Hannah was 13 at the time of her death, but the Williams's attorney argued in court that she was much older. Whoa. If they could prove that she was 16 years old, the charge would be dropped. Mm-hmm. They were unable to prove this, thank God. Thank God, because, f- ugh. Yeah, and the charge was upheld. Good. And she was 13 when she died? She yes. was So she was the age that they said she was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was almost 14. But... <sighs> yeah. On July 22nd, 2013, Larry and Carrie's trial began. Prosecutors focused heavily on the couple's fundamentalist Christian lifestyle and the way they disciplined their children. On July 29th, Emmanuel came to court to tell his story. It was a slow process involving three sign language interpreters that left the courtroom silent for long stretches of time, punctuated by sounds of crying Mm -hmm. from Carrie at the defense table, but also observers in the gallery moved by the sight of a small boy who looked more like eight than 12 and his continuing confusion about what he'd seen. At one point, Emmanuel testified that he wasn't sure where Hannah had gone. Quote, I don't know, he signed his hands pausing in midair. She disappeared. I think maybe she's dead. Oh, sweetie pie. Ugh. You know, it's just one of those, like, it's sad enough that Hannah is dead. Yep. But, you know, when we focus on Emmanuel's part of the story, I didn't focus on the other children involved, but for all of those kids. So traumatized. Uh, right. I mean, their own abuse they're suffered but then to also have to constantly witness their siblings be abused yeah it's just trauma on top of trauma it's really upsetting no it's it really is yeah yeah, especially little emmanuel like fucking monsters man absolute monsters it also came out at trial that the pair omitted information when asked about the way they discipline their children on the pre-adoption forms the adoption agency says prospective adoptive families who spank their children would not be allowed to adopt from them. Mm-hmm. When Carrie and Larry Williams took the stand during their defense, they blamed each other. Larry told the jury that Carrie was the one responsible. She presided over the abuse on a daily basis while Larry was away at work. He was unaware of how bad things had become. Carrie explained that Larry was the head of a patriarchal home. She was just his delegate and only did the things he asked of her. Man, they can't even, like, present a united front. Like, you're just no. going to abuse kids in the name of God, and then you can't even own up I'm to either. it. Nope. Yeah, it's like you're doing this because you think God wants you to, so fucking stand up for it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, don't mm-hmm. blame each other in the end. Right. Gross. Yep. 
Although there had been no mention during the trial of the couple's potential psychiatric issues, Larry's defense team asserted in closing that the family had been utterly unprepared for the challenges of adopting two children with mental health problems on top of the seven they already had. Well, there's got to be some kind of like Munchausen's y sort of problem with them, don't you think? It's well, like... we'll talk here in a minute about what, like, this is an ongoing problem. Yeah. In large, and it happens to be fundamentalist Christian families. Right. Yeah, this isn't just Hannah's case. This no. happens all over the United States. Yeah, there's like several bigger cases that I've heard mm-hmm. before that are so similar, not with adopt. Well, no, with adopted kids, mm-hmm. but also just like people singling out children in yeah. families and larger families. Yeah. So anyway, I'll... Yeah, and I will go into the details of why they think that happens. Good. On September 9th, seven weeks after the trial started, Carrie and Larry were found guilty on almost all the charges brought against them. Yes. Good. Good. Yeah. Good. First degree assault of Emmanuel manslaughter of hannah and homicide by abuse for carrie good on october 29th they were sentenced larry to 28 years and carrie to 37 years good it's not enough no but good this was justice served for hannah and her brother emmanuel but it turns out that this was not a unique case of child abuse and murder when Hannah died, she became one of at least dozens of adoptees alleged to have been killed at their adoptive parents' hands in the past 20 years. Holy shit. And part of a far larger group of children who become estranged from their adoptive families. Most often, these are large families with fundamentalist beliefs about raising children. Mm-hmm. Among Ethiopian adoptees who came from the same orphanage and adoption agency as Hannah, there have been an unreported crisis of, quote, forever families that fail. Yeah. These are adoptions that, in an absence of any real oversight and in environments of harsh discipline, began with good intentions but went profoundly wrong. Totally. Hannah's case symbolizes some of the worst problems in adoption policy today. That families are only required to have 10 hours of training before adopting, all of which can be done online. What? I got this information from a few years ago, so maybe the things have changed a little, but I think this is pretty much still true. Yeah, that's shocking. Yep. Uh, once adoptions are finalized, families have no legal responsibility to report on their children's well-being. And that a family was able to simultaneously adopt two older traumatized special needs children without having traveled to Ethiopia. Yeah. That the Williamses took no steps to understand Hannah and Emmanuel's background and believed that striking and withholding food were legitimate forms of discipline for adoptees who may have gone hungry or been abused in the past just made the situation that much worse absolutely another phenomenon that happens with some international adoptions especially of older children is quote rehoming where the parents of these children no longer want them so they give them away to other families no one woman even admits to rehoming her ethiopian children to craigslist shut on the craigslist fuck up mm-hmm. yeah. <sighs> On Craig, I don't even, I'm speechless. I know. Yep, she rehomed her children on Craigslist. In what state? Like, what is happening? (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. You're not even allowed to rehome pets on Craigslist anymore, really. Holy shit. Yeah, the article I read about the rehoming, I didn't write it down. I want to say that they they quoted in there, it was like eight or 10 states have laws against rehoming Mm -hmm. adopted children. Uh, The other states don't. Wow. And 
so it's yeah you can just say i don't want this child anymore can somebody else take them that is just just unbelievable that is wild Mm -hmm. historically failed adoptions were thought to come from countries where children were either institutionalized for long periods of time like russia or romania Mm -hmm. or from post-conflict zones where adoptees may have experienced serious trauma like liberia or sierra leone yep However, the pattern is now emerging with adoptees from countries that don't share those histories, including China and Ethiopia, which are two of the top, quote, sending countries for Mm. an international adoption in the United States. Mm -hmm. In other words, problems that adoptive parents have frequently attributed solely to adoptees for being too damaged to adjust to family life sometimes have a cause in the parents as well, who may embark on challenging adoptions with abundant zeal, but no training or preparation in a system that provides few real checks. Ugh, man. Also, I mean, it's a problem in general, even in not fundamentalist homes. Basically, international adoption is a, is a problem. Mm-hmm. There are lots of problems with it. Mm-hmm. I have friends who were adopted from other countries and are really struggling as adults. Mm-hmm. Um, and luckily, there's more conversation about it. There's a lot more awareness surrounding it, but just that it really fucks you right. up. Primarily, if your family doesn't do anything to integrate you into your original culture of your original home. Right. You know, they're finding that that's a huge problem. Their heritage is lost. It's a it's a real problem. Yeah. They just permanently feel sort of unmoored and not belonging anywhere. Right. And the other problem they're finding with international adoption is it's such a huge moneymaker for countries that yep. oftentimes families let their children go thinking they're coming back. Mm-mm. They're not abandoned. They think they're going to school and then oh. they are adopted out to other countries and never come back. Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know that there that. have been a lot of crackdowns on that, but I think it's still a big problem. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, or there's no, like, you know, mom and dad die, and they're not trying to keep the children within their family. Right. The, the extended family. Right. Well, and people in the United States are so desperate to get kids that they can't get kids. And look, I'm a huge proponent for adoption. I think it's mm-hmm. wonderful when it works. But I think that people need to do their research and, like, understand mm-hmm. how it affects the baby mm-hmm. or the kid. Yeah. Well, and but, even in America, they're really starting to try to move towards doing whatever they can to keep children within their extended families. Yeah. You know, it's just overall better for them. Yep. And again, not to say that adoption is not important and valid, and it obviously completely is. It's a wonderful thing to do. Yes. Um, But we have to do it. Responsibly. Yeah, and what's best for the child, I think, in my opinion, what is best for them first. Absolutely. And then if adoption is necessary, making sure that they're in loving homes where they'll be protected and cherished yeah and not making it about the parents with some kind of savior Mm -hmm. complex or Mm -hmm. like so desperate for the kid to integrate into their family that they don't take the time to understand what the kid's going through and Mm -hmm. try to help them process through that and like Mm -hmm. maybe that means some separation between you and your child you know maybe that child needs to go spend time with other people who they can more closely identify with Mm -hmm. and that would not feel good to me as a parent. I understand mm-hmm. why people, you know, they want your baby to be like your you only love you, but just... no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I am not that parent. Uh, like, I love it when my parents are. We're <laughs> like, kid, why don't you go uh, get to know that family over there a little bit? <laughs> oh, well. Adoptions that go catastrophically wrong as Hannah's are due to more than just one bad book 
but a toxic combination of unprepared and overwhelmed families, inappropriately harsh parenting that exacerbates traumatized children's behavior, and an oversight system that too often fails to consider either. Uh, And the children's side of the story is rarely told. Yep. Rachel Coleman, a PhD candidate at Indiana University Bloomington and a homeschooling graduate herself, she co-created the website Homeschooling's Invisible Children, which tracks cases of extreme child abuse or death in homeschooling communities. Of the 125 cases the site has collected so far, 43% are adoptees. Much of that she attributes to parenting styles among some fundamentalist homeschoolers that focus on breaking a child's will to raise perfectly obedient children. Mm-hmm. Quote, adoptive parents coming from this point of view are looking at the child almost as an enemy to conquer. Yep. The idea is that there is a payoff. If you can win the battle, you save the child's soul, says Coleman. Mm-hmm. In such a setup, families may be reluctant to admit failure or ask for help. And everything from everyday disobedience from serious problems that need psychological treatment may be instead viewed as, quote, sin issues mm-hmm. to be addressed with religion. Yep. I thought it was a really interesting, uh, makes a lot of sense what yeah. Coleman says. Yeah. What's her first name? Uh, Rachel. Yep. That it's it's just this like cycle. You know, and I, I think of that in Hannah's case, it's they've raised seven children of their own in a way that hasn't killed any of them, right? Like, I yep. don't I don't agree with their parenting, but I do th- believe that they did what they thought was best for their children. Sure. But then you bring in children who aren't accustomed to your religion or your country mm-hmm. or your mm-hmm. parenting styles, and the parents are expecting immediate obedience to yeah. everything they say right away, and there isn't any room for error for the children. Yep. And as soon as it just becomes this vicious cycle. Yep. And it's never the parents' problem. They're not the ones doing it wrong. If if they are, what they're doing wrong is not being strict enough. Right. They got to do more of it because it worked right. with the other kids. So right. this kid just needs more of it. Right. So we better just increase the punishment yep. to get her to understand our rules yep. to the point where she is tortured, murdered. Yeah. So after the Williams's sentencing, the Ethiopian Community Center in Seattle had hoped to install a headstone for Hannah, where only a temporary marker had been. But before they could, community members who had spent months following the trial and years grappling with what had gone wrong learned that they couldn't. Two years after Hannah's death, the Williams's extended family suddenly ordered a headstone themselves. Yikes. The birth date on the stone reads 1994, three years earlier than the year listed on Hannah's death certificate. Mm-mm. No. Yep. The engraving is an attempt to change Hannah's age from 13 to 16, just as the Williams's defense attorney had argued in seeking to invalidate the trial's most serious charge, Mm-mm. to cast Hannah as not a youthful victim, but as a troubled older teen. Oh, that is so disgusting. Yeah. So disrespectful. Yeah. If only on a symbolic level, it gives the parents who abused, shunned, and ultimately killed Hannah the last word on her life. Yeah. After Hannah's death, Ethiopia banned all foreign adoptions in 2018. Wow. They cited Hannah's case as one of the reasons for the ban. Good for them. Mm -hmm. After being removed from his abusive home, Emmanuel was living with a deaf African-American foster mother. Mm Mm-hmm. 
His signing ability improved dramatically, and according to court testimony from a parishioner who had known him since he lived with the Williamses, he seemed happier than he'd ever been. Good. Emmanuel is now about 19 years old and is said to be doing fairly well. He hopes to return to Ethiopia with his new loving family. Good, 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 good. Yeah. Sweet boy. That's perfect. I know, buddy. Um, and I think that's all. That's all I got. Holy shit, man. What a tragedy. Like mm-hmm. the capital T tragedy. Oh, that was such a good one. I mean, such a unbelievably awful one but such a good one and i think so important because it's it's one of those complicated things where you're so well-intentioned you think you're doing the right thing but you're actually doing the absolute worst possible thing right you know and so something that people aren't as aware of as they think that they need to be so right that's a really and i think just in general we got to really think about creating families that support children and yep what does that look like and yep it's not always in family's hands. Things happen, but yep. you don't, you know, adding to these enormous families, Ugh. adding more children with, yeah. you know, often with issues and big needs is just, is that the right place for them? <laughs> you know, Absolutely. We had a, Sadie and I worked at a group home. I think we mentioned this really early on in the podcast. We worked at a group home in college for teenage boys with disabilities and emotional disturbances. And we could definitely do a podcast on that if it wasn't Mm -hmm. totally immoral and illegal. But (laughs) it was a wonderful experience, extremely challenging, but super wonderful. And we had a boy there, and I won't go into too much detail, but he was the adopted son of a family of 15, Mm -hmm. five, one, five. And he was one of their first kids that they procured and adopted. And then they had 15 other adopted and foster children. And he had come from a family where he was badly abused. And then in turn, he was acting out his behavior on his younger siblings and had to be removed from the family, from the home and put into our care. And he was the absolute fucking sweetest kid. Like Mm -hmm. try not to choose favorites as a mother, but (laughs) definitely one of the favorites. He was such a doll. And would have been absolutely fine had he been in a family that could have intervened and worked with him on his urges. And, you know, he would have been fine. There was absolutely no reason for him to be in our care, except that they had 14 other kids and they couldn't give him the care and like therapy and attention that he needed to thrive and to move past his horrible past. So Mm -hmm. one little story, my favorite of his was I wasn't there, but one of the other staff members. They were out front of the house, and a guy walked. And this was in Humboldt County, Humboldt California, County, California, where the weed comes from. Well, it used to. Now it comes from everywhere, but back in the right. day, it only came from there. <laughs> a guy rode by on his bike and said, "Hey, you guys." <laughs> I love this story. Uh, I'm afraid I'm going to get it wrong. Hey, you guys want some nugs? <laughs> right? Yes. Yes. And uh, and the the kid said. Yes, yes, I do. And the staff member is like, "No, no, no, man, we're fine." And he, the guy rode away on his bicycle, and the kid looked at the staff member, and he was like, "He was so mad." He was like, "Why? Why would you not? I guess I want gold nuggets. I want, I want gold them. nuggets. Why would you turn down nuggets, man?" Sweet buddy. Just like a, okay, here you go. Clink like giant pirate bag of 
gold nuggets. Oh, he was so sweet. Such a good kid. But yeah, I think definitely. about all those boys so much. I wonder. I mean, they're so all grown much. men now. I wonder. Yep. I how dare they are. I know. Especially yeah. him. Because he had such an opportunity. He had such a, you know, honest chance. Mm-hmm. This kid really had um, everything that he needed to be successful. Yeah. Except for a way overloaded family. <laughs> like, right. So, right. yeah, we definitely formed yeah. strong opinions about it pretty early on in our adulthood. And, yeah, you got to really check yourself and your savior complex and figure out why you're doing it. And, are mm-hmm. you know, is it for selfish reasons or is it for the actually for the kid? Yep. I know it. When I, you know, I think a lot about how everybody's different, obviously, but like my limiting i'm limited by my parenting abilities at two children like that's yes <laughs> that's it i could not imagine no any more than two like no. this is it no when when I, laura and i go down there there are four of us and it's like then our parents will come over like five six of us and mm-hmm. two of them and it's still too much <laughs> <laughs> yep. and we are obviously <laughs> terrible people but <laughs> yeah i mean like, I don't really I do. try I that hard. No, but yeah, they are really good kids. Fun, bright, well-behaved, but they're kids, man. They're yeah. huge, huge energy, huge personalities, lots yeah. of needs. And yeah, no, thank you. Yeah. So as much as I would like to take in children who need help, I know as a parent that is beyond my capacity. Yeah. I just wouldn't be able to do it well. No. So. Yeah. I wouldn't be yeah. able to do one, let alone 15. That's right. Right. So, so my limit is to other people's is zero. 20. So yeah, man. The whole point is. Love your kids. Check in, check in with yourself. Check in with your yourself. <laughs> yes. Don't ever hit your kids. I will mm-hmm. not agree that that's ever okay. I don't care. Like, oh, we, our parents did it and we're just fine. I'm like, well, they should have. Well, and also, are you fine? Mm-hmm. Like, I've yeah. known you my entire life and you are so <laughs> fucking far from fine. <laughs> I love mm-hmm. you, but there is something seriously, multiple things seriously wrong with you. Right. Um, yeah. So, yeah, don't hit your kids. Don't adopt unless you're prepared for everything that that requires. And God bless little fucking Hannah, sweetie pie, oh, baby oh. doll. I'm so sad she didn't get to have any moments of like warmth or kindness before she died. It breaks my heart. Me too. Big time. Big time. And if Emmanuel needs me to adult adopt him, I will do it. And then I will surround him with, I'll send him to Ethiopia and just financially support him basically is what that would come down to. Yeah. (laughs) Sweet boy. Good job, man. Thanks. Yep. If anybody wants to adult adopt me, then give me money and hugs. You know, I want to be adult adopted, but what I need is uh, you pick what we eat every night and go ahead and cook it. Yeah. Don't make me make a shopping list. Like, that's really all I need. At well, least it's, right called, now, today. Um, it's called fucking HelloFresh. That's why I love it so much. <laughs> I got adult adopted. I mean, that's why... I like I love to cook and I think I'm pretty good at it, but I got so bogged down by picking what to make all the time. <laughs> and Laura, yeah, they really should. They really need to go ahead and sponsor us because we're already. I know. Well, we don't have set up to. Here. They don't have to because we've already done all the work for them. But I know. And then I'll be like, oh, tell me, what did you make tonight, Courtney? Well, <laughs> tabbouleh couscous bowls or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> 
I made a crazy one last night. It was so delicious. It was like pickled cabbage. It sounded disgusting. Curried rice and pickled cabbage and crispy <laughs> chickpeas and all this weird shit. Laura was not feeling it. She doesn't like all that hippie stuff like I do. And mm-hmm. it was so fucking good. <laughs> did, she, did she like it? Yes. It yes. Yeah. She loved it. She, so I'm hungry right now. I'm ready for something well, fresh. So when... Uh... I assume our our reach is so vast now that the ad exec of HelloFresh is listening. We're ready, guys. Yeah, we're ready. And if you take the idea of uh, like a campaign about being adult adopted by HelloFresh, I will sue you. <laughs> so, ay ay ay, litigious these days. I got power hungry. We, got, we hit ten thousand <laughs> downloads today, and I'm ready. Ready to take over the world. <laughs> I'm just going to basically not take over the world, just turn on everyone I care about, like my brother-in-law who made our music. Hello, my beloved Hello Fresh. <sighs> oh, boy. Welp. Yeah, there we go. There we go. Done with the terrible stuff. Yeah. We can talk about the better, not terrible stuff. On to the businesses. I mean, I guess we already were talking about anyway. Yeah, here's yeah. here's some things that aren't terrible. I'm gonna name a couple names and tell me if you these sound familiar to you. Nikki McKibben. Yes. EJ Day. Ryan Starr. <laughs> Do you know where these names are from? Um, are we back to American Idol? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> At first, I thought you had like surprise Patreon supporters no, or something that I didn't nope. know about. No. Nope. That's all American Idol season one. I looked it up after. Oh, oh shit. So and the whole funny. reason I went to look at it was to see if General Jennifer Hudson was. Dude, she came in third. I, I believe. And I know I, I know you're right, but I just like, I don't you know me. I have to just p- confirm it. Mm-hmm. And I looked it up and I was like, oh, my God. It all just came <laughs> flooding back to me. And I, I, I looked up strap arms for ryan star because you remember her she was the hot one that had all the straps her outfits were all straps so like her midriff showing and then like yeah. straps everywhere she wasn't the one with like the chunky hair colors that's nikki that mckibben Mickey? that's okay, nikki mckibben and remember okay. she had like a um karaoke business uh-huh <laughs> and none of them were good except for right. kelly and jennifer basically right. and justin was pretty good but yeah, they got in there just in the nick of time because they would not have made it. Like Ryan Starr in particular, <laughs> God bless you. I don't not mean to talk trash, but she is like really good looking and could not sing to save her life. <laughs> so that was oh, a fun rabbit funny. hole to go down. Yeah, yep. that's great. <laughs> and um, oh, I keep forgetting to mention this, but I don't. I don't know if we're ever going to have a name for our listeners. It's just going to happen. Have to happen organically. And I kind of feel yeah. like it would have by now, but we could keep talking about it until it works. But we have a listener from the UK who's just an absolute doll and super supportive. Her name's Louise M, and she brought up the fact that in the UK they have a dessert called the Eccles cake, <laughs> spelled E C C L E S cake so i like to think of you guys as my little eccles cakes oh, adorable so cute so cute <laughs> so thank you louise for being generally just a wonderful person and so supportive of us but also for that adorable recommendation yeah no i think that whatever our listeners are called they'll decide for themselves yep i know we'll call them murderinos <laughs> <laughs> Why does that sound so familiar? I don't know. 
Kate just came up with it. Oh no! Fast forward, getting sued by my favorite murder. They it love hurts, you, doesn't it? Courtney? Yeah, it hurts. yeah. I have to reconsider some of my recent choices. <laughs> oh, we are mur- yep. we are murderinos. We are. Yep. We, we are. love we love you, ladies. Um, anything else? Um. I don't think so. We've had an amazing day. Yeah. So many, so many supportive listeners out there yep. excited for us. Yep. We have a really fun giveaway happening yep. on Facebook and Instagram, mostly on Instagram, but we also posted it over on Facebook. Yes. Um, so if you're interested in winning some really cool stuff, go over there and check it out. Yep. And it's going to end on the day that this airs. So if you're listening now, get on there today and tag some friends and we'll pull the winner on Sunday when we record. I think is how we're going to do it. Right? Something like that. Something like that. Yeah. Logistics, schmagistics. Like <laughs> time is a flat circle in quarantine. So whatever. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> we've, we've figured it out this far. We're doing pretty good. We so. are. <laughs> For like just not really having any idea what we're doing. Nope. We've done incredibly well. I think so, too. And it's because of you beautiful Eccles cakes. That's right. Might <laughs> <laughs> stick, man. It rolls right I know. off the top. I'll have to have Louise say it for us. I'm sure she does a much nicer job of it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> definitely not attempting an English accent. Nothing makes me more mad than American people trying to speak with a British accent. Oh, I just God, want to, no. like, roundhouse kick people when they do yes. it. Because it yeah. never sounds good. No, I love on the reverse side when British people <laughs> speak with an American yes. accent. That is fucking great. Like, yes. It's very R-heavy. Like, mm-hmm. what are you guys doing today? And, like, <laughs> accurate. That is adorably accurate. <laughs> I um, was in New Zealand for a couple months way back in my 20s, early 20s, and uh, we hitchhiked around because it was safe to do it there. And we got picked up by their Navy, which is at the time it might have changed, but basically just like a community service organization. They're like, wait, <laughs> well, we're not fighting anybody. Like, it's New Zealand. What the fuck? Who's going to fight New Zealand? But they would go to like, I don't know, commencements with other military people, pe- militaries from other countries. And they <laughs> called the American military the goddamns because in all American <laughs> war movies, they're like, well, you're a goddamn hero. <laughs> so, they're like, oh, God, here come the goddams. <laughs> That's so adorable. <laughs> so adorable. Uh, uh, love you guys. And we have a very, very, very supportive fan from New Zealand right now, Shannon. Yes. Hi, Shannon, you fucking angel. Um, so we love you guys. Thank you for getting us to 10,000 downloads. That's right. Keep telling your friends because... Please. Once quarantine en- quarantine ends, I don't know how the fuck we're going to do this full time. Uh-huh. It's a full time job, <laughs> believe that. And yeah. I have other jobs with an S at the end because I'm one of those annoying people who are like, I'm a life coach and I teach yoga mm-hmm. and I'm a model actress. I'm not any of those things, but I am that kind of person <laughs> that has multiple uh, side hustles, as the millennials yep. like to say. I know. I'll just have to. Let the quarantine get over so I can put my children in school. Yeah. Yeah. You'll have a little bit more time and I'll have significantly less time. So please um, help us do this full time. So because this is all we really want to do. And we can do that if HelloFresh uh, sponsors us. (laughs) Simple three part, three part system. Yep. Tell your friends. HelloFresh sponsorship. Profit. 
<laughs> full-time podcast full-time for podcast for, for your ears that's right that's right so right. uh the way you do that is to follow us on instagram facebook or twitter at they will kill email us at they will kill podcast at gmail.com and check out our website at they will you can please rate review subscribe yep uh another thing that's been helping us is that people are getting on reddit if you're not already yeah just don't even bother but (laughs) yeah because i love reddit for research it's amazing for research but trying to post on reddit is like trying to get into the kremlin like it's fucking impossible (laughs) it really is they're like nope denied i'm like why they're like just because i don't know know. (laughs) i I read your rules too bad you didn't read them i just updated them again um but if you are much more savvy than we are and you're on reddit and you wanted to tell people about us that really helps us too it really does what else thank you to aj bergantz for our music you're a doll you are our homeboy you are our homeboy (laughs) (laughs) that's what i was gonna say oh there you go and remember um so i have one today and i was watching my favorite show ridiculousness on mtv Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. they have this commercial that keeps playing in response to coronavirus and it's this like very square (laughs) woman like a young woman um, square as in shape or as as it's just her voice it's like graphics going up and it's like all about you know being positive during coronavirus (laughs) she's like you know be safe stay in touch with your friends and then she says stay at home dance to a jam (laughs) <laughs> not that like mtv has got like the it's like the hippest most with it fucking channel on the planet right. but stay at hope dance to a jam <laughs> so there you go guys That's amazing just stay, stay at home, home dance, dance with dance to, to a, jam, a jam which is really hard to say dance <laughs> dance with a jam dance to a jam just jam it <laughs> jam it we're gonna get through this if you stay at home and, and jam it jam. out <laughs> i mean at this point mtv needs to hire us for their commercials too <laughs> seriously ridiculousness doesn't need my help because it literally plays 24 hours a day at mtv because it's so popular they're doing right. just fine but if you guys want to sponsor us if you want me to sponsor wait what how does that work if ridiculousness wants to drink the water (laughs) i want to get sponsored by ridiculousness and then we will do your commercials for coronavirus there you go yeah done and done great profit figure this out profit (laughs) oh we love you guys Uh, we love you so fucking much you're the absolute best and have a good day and goodbye goodbye goodbye